and welcome to Carnatic Conundrums. My name is Neha. I'm Kamala Kiran. And this is our first episode together. And we are really excited to be here today in New York City with TM Krishna. Hello, nice to have me. Krishnana is here on his US concert tour and he's also giving a few lectures, um, kicking it off with the first one at Columbia University later today. So okay. Anna, are you excited to be in New York? Yeah, it's always <laughs> fun to be here. It's a short trip, I wish I had more time, but we'll make the best of it. We're glad to have you here. Um, so, I think for us as young artists, one of our biggest inspirations behind starting Carnatic Conundrums was actually you, seeing you speak out. We wanted to feel, we kind of saw that and we were like, what can we do to also help this cause of opening up discourse in Carnatic music and somehow or another, Kamala and I were speaking and this kind of came into fruition. (laughs) Glad you're doing this. So I think our first uh, question is how did you how did you come to where you are? What incited this change where you had this aha moment? Okay, there was no aha moment. At least there's not none that I can recognize. Uh, well, I grew up learning Carnatic music. I never wanted to be a Carnatic musician or be an economist. But I anyway, landed up <laughs> becoming a Carnatic musician and chose this pretty, pretty early in life. When I was, in, by the time I'd finished my undergraduation, I knew I wanted to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I went up the ranks like many other people uh, in Chennai within the Carnatic world. And um, I was not asking any of these questions for a long time. So it's important for me to say that um, I was just doing the stuff that everybody does. You know, you learn Carnatic music, you go to Pata class, you come back home. After a while, you start performing, you get opportunities, you're considered this young uh-huh. talent and all this happens, right? It just goes on. Um, but I come from a home that has had an environment of questioning, that I have to say. My parents, uh, d- discussions, debates, arguments on mm-hmm. any subject was always encouraged. So there was no. never a passive dinner table conversation? Never, never, never. <laughs> dinner table was the worst place to be if you if you want to have a calm time. Yeah. Because we're always like too, right? So my school was also yeah. like that. So yeah. my school was also a place where essentially the core of being in school was learning to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the idea of what is a question, you know, how does one frame so a question? That's so, like definitely getting to the philosophical aspect. Yeah, so that's how so. that's how I I grew up. But my music world was still just singing kacheris. So was your music world very separate? To a large extent, I think so. I think that um, those two worlds did not really collide. Mm-hmm. But I think it was around the turn, around the turn of the millennium, around 2000, 2001, around that period of time, when, or maybe a little later, 2002, that uh, I started asking questions about, you know, what is this music all about? You know, is I, this when you started doing your research on um, the That's of when it then? started. Yeah. So the question... So there was kind of an aha moment. <laughs> well, you could call it that, but actually it was, you know, it happened Maybe by, I'm just searching for yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> there wasn't one. I mean, I, I don't, maybe, you know, you have to kind of retrofit these aha moments many times. I think the Dijitar research also had to do with your guru. You did it along with him, right? No, no, no. no, no. You did it. So, not he, at all. Oh, okay. So, actually, the Dikshita thing happened out of learning one Kirtanam in Mangalakeshiki, Sri Bhargavi. Okay. And that was when we were looking with the Sangeeta Sampradaya Pradarshini and saying, can we set this up? We set it up with Sri Ram Kumar and I. Okay. And then I said, suppose we sing as per this man's notation, what is music going to sound like? <laughs> and it was around that time that I was also debating this whole idea of why I was singing at all. Yeah, I knew how to sing a successful concert. Right. I knew how to get an applause. Mm-hmm. I knew how to get the as they say. 
But then, I mean, what what was I doing? I mean, was I just reaffirming something, or was that? I mean, it was beautiful, but was really is there something really of aesthetic values? These things were bothering me, and that's when this research began, and that research kind of turned everything on its head for me, mm -hmm. because it fundamentally, when I listened to kind of when we tried reconstructing the songs, the questions was, I mean, this the music sounded so alien uh, <laughs> to what I consider music today. So mm -hmm. the question was. What is beautiful? I mean, this is music as notated by this uh, Subarama Dikshitar. Even, even if it is, uh, it is the closest you can get to Dikshitar. Uh -huh. And even if there's an error margin from our work by 30%, let's just put that in, you know, mm -hmm. for argument's sake. Even if 70% of music sounded like this, it was problematic. <laughs> and it's not something that I would call beautiful uh, with, the, with the our understanding of Raga today. <laughs> so then the whole question is, what are we doing? I mean, is there this whole tradition, Sampradaya, we, you know, we talk about how for so many hundreds of years we are continuing. What is this we are really continuing? Is there something? So the fundamental question was, for me musically, is there something that we are really taking forward? Or is this totally time bound that we like to go back and say it's anti there's antiquity to it? So that's when I started researching treatises, going back to the Nati Shastra, looking at all these documents. And then you realize very soon that a musicological question cannot be musicological, it is political and it is social and it's, I mean, unless you're willing to grapple with the politics and society, mm -hmm. um, you can't understand why we sing what we sing, why we don't sing so many things, why you and I listen, why the other person doesn't listen. Right. I mean, so it kind of, can you can just say that one question tumbled into another? So how did you musically adjust to this change in sound in so, terms of, you know, you said it was very odd. Yeah, I think the first change for me was musical. You know, right. even all the political and social discourse came much later. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, first it was about singing this, this music. So after a while, I started pondering about this whole idea of singing a concert. So what am I delivering? Am I delivering a kind of more or less contained idea of what the experience should be? And within which, yes, there is movement, I'm not saying there isn't, but it's still trapped in certain idea of completion, you know, like in Tamil, let's say, Kacheri Keta Now, what does that mean? I mean, what does that really mean, you know? So, and also, value. just because that means something to one mommy or mama in the audience, does that, is that what the general feels, audience? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if there is a consensus of what it should be, can't be questioned that consensus also. So that's when... Uh, but have we even as a Carnatic Music Society come to what that consensus is? Oh, I think is? there is a consensus. There's an, there, is a, there is an experiential unwritten consensus. Unwritten rule. There's un yeah, it's a I mean, there is an unwritten experiential consensus. Of course, there are, you know, variants. With, you know, the more Puritans may say something, all that's there. But overall, there is, there is a, a feeling of what a Carnatic Kachiri should be. Not can be, but should be. And my question was, does this trap the music? So, when we say we are sharing music, what's the role of performance in that? It's mm -hmm. a question. Is performance a carrier? Something that takes the music and shares it? Or is the, after a point, does the performance itself become the music? Then what have we lost in between? Mm -hmm. So, these questions, that's when I started fiddling around with the way we sang the concert, uh, with the idea of the form. And the moment you change form, discomfort comes in. Which means experience changes. You mean even small things like sharing the same line with the mridangam and violinist rather than that yeah, traditional. Absolutely. Like, or even like the visual look. Visual, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the visual, the visual actually came from that too. Yeah. The whole idea of saying when 
it's also a power structure. Right. Mm -hmm. The way we sit on stage is a power game. Yeah. You know, it's not an aesthetic setup at all. It's a question of the person in the center being in command. Uh, there are some friends of mine who call the, the main artist, that itself, the word that main artist, yeah, yeah, whatever, as the captain of the ship. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I also think from a perspective, it doesn't even make sense for the Mridangas to be there because as the vocal, it's, it's, the violinist gets the best, I would say, view of the Mridangas, <laughs> but it should kind of be the vocalist if that person yeah, is and, the driver of the concert. And I always wonder what the Ganjira or the Gadda yeah, doing right the part, Your so, brief looks. And so. you're, you're, also, you're also immediately telling everybody who is important, who is mm -hmm. unimportant. So the, one of the reasons I changed that was also a personal question for me, was I willing to move away from the center? And I can tell you the first time I did it, I was very uncomfortable not sitting in the center. Mm -hmm. And I had to share space. And then there was no nobody behind. So in a way, we became kind of a like a semicircle. It's also a perception issue, right? So the moment the position changes, the audience perceives the person differently. Uh, the importance of their of contribution, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how they've contributed, you pay more attention. When the Ganjira comes out, I mean, you can see it in a duet, right. in a violent duet. When the Ganjira or Gautam sits there, you can see two things. One, the audience sees them, and they themselves see their value as greater mm -hmm. yeah. in the whole setup. So, I mean, that's part of the whole questioning process. It was also a question of, you know, we, what is an alapana? I mean, what is an end? What, I mean, what do we do with it? What's a composition? Why is this certain compositions considered to be warm-ups? Uh, why can't they be taken seriously? Can I mean, what is you know all these things kind of one after another? And I just continue to experiment. I mean, I I have not come to an end structure. Very important here is I am not saying that this is an alternative format. That's very important. I'm not saying this is an alternative format. I'm just saying this is the way that I see possibilities. And I really think there must be multiple possibilities. The point is the music and not the performance form. The performance, I mean, if you create a dynamic performance form, mm -hmm. then the music also changes. If you keep a crusted performance form, then the music also remains trapped. And I'm just saying this is the way I see it. Your generation may come up with something that's totally different. Mm -hmm. Artists from my colleague may come up. I think we should allow for that discourse to happen. And it's, it is, this is a musical discourse, but it's also political. Because the question is, what are the compositions that you're willing to give seriousness to? What will you not give seriousness to? Uh -huh. All these things, all these things start playing. Yes. You know? So springboarding off of the musical change that you saw, um, how did that then transform into you exploring discourse in the socio-political context of music? Because I, I think very soon you realize that the way you perceive, learn, practice, disseminate Carnatic music or any art form is also determined by who the owner is, mm -hmm. uh, determined by who is the control group, determined by gender, determined by who are the people who are now missing, why are they missing, who are in the fringes, who are not considered so important and why are so many people not interested. If there should be a reason and then the moment you ask this question, you are asking entirely political and social questions. Yes, and then sure. I had to look at issues. I mean, for me, the starting point is issues like the Nadasuram and Tavil community, the Devadasis communities. What happened over there? You know, uh, why is there this, there has been this appropriation of the music of the Devadasis. Mm -hmm. There's been also the appropriation of the music of the Nadasuram and Tavil ones. Because people always tell you, oh, we learned, we've learned from Brinda, we've learned oh, from yeah. them. The point being missed is, yes, but you took the music from them. Where are they? 
That's the fundamental or question. Or where are others like them in this generation? Yeah. Sure, there are many and also, and also, when we speak about these people, why don't we discuss the struggles that they went through? Uh, you know, there are enough stories about these great people who became great, where they had to struggle through so much to even reach that point. And, and these are complex questions. And the moment I started asking those questions, it's also influencing the way I, so I sing, the way I see music. And so when we say we are making sensitive music, music that moves people, if we are not moved and sensitive enough to see the discrepancies that exist in the way we make this music, right. there is something seriously hollow about, about it. So why are we so, I wouldn't say we, but as the general, general, general Carnatic music crowd and performers, organizers, Rasikas all combined, why are we so uncomfortable about asking these difficult questions? You know, I, I don't think this is unique of Carnatic music. It's there in most art forms. It's uh, especially there in art forms that kind of are handled among cultural elites across the world. You'll find this discomfort with social political conversations because there is this certain puritanicalness that kind of comes into these kind of elite cultural forms. So it's there. And I think that's why what happens is there is this tendency to always talk about Carnatic music as being something so beautiful, so elevating, that you shouldn't mud. Yeah. It transcends. Yeah, don't <laughs> muddle it up. You know, yeah. it transcends. And the whole idea that talking about anything that is critical in some way is denouncing the art form. No, I think the point is that's a fundamental problem. That if you speak about something that's complex, something that's uncomfortable, and something that we, you may disagree with me, that's a different thing. That's not the point. But we need to grapple with the issue collectively. But to, if you grapple with it, people think you're sullying something. Somehow you're sullying the, the purity of experiencing a Tyagaraja Kirtan. No, I in fact think the more I create, problematize the music, you actually experience the music even greater honesty. In fact, what you find as a musical experience will be even more beautiful because you're, you're willing to be, willing to strip all the facades out of it. And I think you, I think we, we will, we will be able to enter the music with greater liberation than we are in the in the whole idea that it's too pure to touch. Don't, don't. Let's not talk about this. You know, let's, you know, <laughs> gender issues. No, let's not talk about yeah. it. I mean, it's, it's, it's staring at your face. There are musicians even today who will say they will oh, not accompany course. a woman, and nobody will talk about it. No organizer will take a stand on it. And what are we saying? I mean, this is ridiculous. Honestly, it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, and the, the odd thing is we are willing to, dis many, many people are willing to discuss these things in other spheres. Or even privately. Yeah. yeah. But then, but to, when it comes here, no. Let's, let's just stay out of this. I mean. And I think part of the issue is that we deify our musicians. There is a, there is a historical reason for that, which is why, Thya see, Tyagaraja is the sanctum sanctorum of Carnatic music. Okay. And there is reason for that because in history, what happened is Tyagaraja's compositions actually came into the concert mainly because of Harikatha Vidwans. Mm -hmm. So there was this overlap and Tyagaraja had a Shishya Parampara which was also full of Harikatha Vidwans. Right. So the same person was doing Harikatha and singing what you could call art music, right? Doing both. Mm -hmm. So after a point of time, the Tyagaraja, and you must remember that at, one, at late 19th century, Harikatha Vidwans were far more popular. They were far more famous. Mm -hmm. And the Tyagaraja Kirtanas, you know, they would use Tyagaraja Kirtanas for anything. For telling the story of Rama could be anything, always. Yeah. So soon the compositions became very popular with the same Brahminical community. Then they started using these compositions in the Kirtanas. Okay. So then 
also the fact that Tyagaraja is a very interesting person because he just didn't, he was also, there was political commentary, there was moral commentary, yeah. there was uh, ethical commentary. So he was very convenient to be used in a storytelling story context. There's a great diversity also in what he's done. Yes, exactly. Incredible diversity. And so what happened is now this composition comes into the concert scene. And then at the same time, we also have to put this in context of the Indian nationalism movement. It was a time when Hindu nationalism also was being gathered. So all this comes together and then Tyagaraja becomes this saint. Emblem of what Carnatic music is, the moment that is created, you can't touch, discuss Tyagaraja with any criticality. Dikshita did not have this Shishya Parampara and did not enter the concert circuit in this sense. If you look at Dikshita Kitrams, when they start coming in, it's much later. And even till 30 years ago, I mean, Shamudi Mama did a lot for Dikshita Kitram, but even otherwise, Pattama did sing, DKJ Sars did sing. But if you see the number of Dikshita compositions that were in the concerts, it mm -hmm. is much less. So Dikshita becomes this. And also, kind of, who is really going to take on like a Sri Dakshinamurti yeah, I mean, casually, right? We already There's, talked about the aesthetic now. Yeah. yeah. Very different. Yeah, and also the fact that you must, that's an important point because the concert plan evolved around Tyagaraja's Kirtanas. Yeah. So we can't forget that, uh, that the whole concert plan is more or less evolved on the contribution of Tyagaraja. Mm -hmm. And the rest have kind of been fitted in, keeping that framework in place. And sometimes there is, the, some Dikshita songs don't fit in any of those categories. It will right? not. Or, no. or the given categories. It will not, because it's a different perception completely. And I think even, even with Tyagaraja, one of the problems has been us not recognizing that he was you know, he was a multifaceted person. He did what you could call art music compositions. Very right. intricate. He did Bhakti Sangeet too. Okay. And therefore, what we have done is we've kind of put everything together today in one lump. And therefore, we're not able to differentiate this. And therefore, in a concert, everything appears. You know, if you take uh, compositions where the same, for example, the same tune is there in every charana. Mm -hmm. Now, that's, that's usually devotional music because the idea of devotional music is for congregational singing. Everybody repeats the same tune. You take congregational singing across the world, That's you'll find the, the whole yeah. format. And the idea is that the emphasis is on the, on the lyrics. It, it is, entirely. It's not to focus on the tune, oh, am I singing this Yeah, and then you take a composition like A Papu Mujasidira. Or even you take an Enduku Petala. I mean, that's a different... The framework itself is very different. My point is we've also kind of conflated that. And since we have done that, we are unable to, I'm saying, find a separation and actually celebrate it. Not find a separation to be critical, but yeah. saying, "Wow, this is a man who was, who was, could be as religious as you wanted, but at the but same time also transcended and say, you know, this is also beyond my belief system. Yeah. There's also something more to it. I mean, that's, that's fascinating, and I think just you know, this whole we were talking about this earlier, this whole idea of the conservative and the liberal. I think the liberal resides in the conservative, and the conservative resides in the liberal. And Tyagaraja yeah. is a great case. I mean. He's a conservative and he's a liberal. And I think we should find that fascinating uh, to celebrate rather than say, no, 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 no. He, he is representative of this kind of belief system. No, he's more than that. So you've done a lot of, um, because of the musical change and the political change and, you know, you speaking out, you've uh, included a lot of repertoire outside of the traditional Kachiri format. So how does that affect either your view on the aesthetics of the music or our view of the aesthetics of the music, just because, you know, we were talking about this earlier. 
through the lyrics or even the compositional form, it's something that's very unfamiliar to the oh, concert yeah. scene. So how do you adjust? Sure, it? I mean, how do we adjust? I mean, well? I'll come to you later. <laughs> I think even for me, uh, it, it takes time. It's not easy uh, because there are certain things that are coded right. in our head, right? I'm very used to saying Rama 100 times in a concert. I'm very used to saying Krishna 15 times, Kamakshi. Now, if I'm going to say Allah or Jesus, or if I'm going to speak about the struggles of a farmer, yeah. Now, though I may not be involved in the lyrics, there is a sonic value to meaning also, right? Yeah. And even or imagery to meaning, or imagery to, to words. Now, this is an entirely different frame of imagery. So, it actually takes me also time. So, when I take a composition and I tune it, it takes a while for me to also go beyond my coded form and, and kind of dive into it. Whereas, it's easier for me to dive into, you know, yeah, the, the territory that we already have. So it, it's it's a, it's it's I mean it's not been easy. I mean I'll give you an example of the Purambuka Padal. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean I sang the Purambuka Padal, the videos are all that's there. But then I started singing at, at at concerts. It took me a while to find art music within myself in the Purambuka Padal, and not just keep it as this environmental or this sociological commentary. Okay, because ultimately in a in a Carnatic concert. The Poromboko battle has to be art music. It, it, I'm not there to create social commentary. That's not the context. The video is a context for social and environmental right. commentary, but not here. So it took me a while to actually find. If you listen to me sing Poromboko battle in a concert, uh -huh. it's very different from the way I sang it in the video. And I think that's really important to emphasize. I'm very glad that you said that. you've kind of said that. Although you might want to challenge the norm of what we perceive as conservative and Carnatic sampradaya you still have admitted that there is a certain framework that you have to stick of to course. for it to be... Of course. I mean, I mean, I mean it has yeah. to. I mean, there's some things... I mean, I've played, I mean, I've worked with many lyrics and many forms and sometimes they, they've not just worked because it does not have the body for me to say, no, I can sing it elsewhere, but to mm -hmm. sing it in, in the world that I'm trying to think. So there is an idea which I'd like to call the Carnatic sound. I would like to call it. And it includes the rhythm, everything. But there's a sound. And it has to come within that sound for me to find that elbow room. The most important thing for me in a composition, if it has to come the Carnatic world, is how much does it give me space to make it keep enlarging itself in some fashion. And if the, if the composition doesn't give me there, give me that, then I, I find it, okay, I need to think about it again. So it's, it's not just a political decision. It's an aesthetic decision. It has to be an aesthetic decision. And there have been cases where um, I've tried a song and then said it's not worked. I've sung a song, I was telling him today, that there was a song that I tuned in Athana. I sang it a couple of times and I just kept it aside because I was not happy. One year I never sang it. And then I took it one day and I read it in Canada. And now I feel it sits for Carnatic music. Yeah. So you have to, and so, it's, so the, I can understand why this is also a struggle for the listener. I completely empathized with that problem. But I think that's a challenge that I want to throw out there for the listener too. You know, I mean, I it's think a, that's fair. Yeah, that's all. I am throwing that out, I'm, and I completely concede that it can be disconcerting and comfortable. Yeah, the lamp, I don't know. I'm, I completely get all that. But I think that we all need to go beyond that too. So you know, for I mean, I very strongly believe. I've said this many times that I believe that lyrical content for me is a sonic body. And I myself moved in that position because I realized very soon that that discourse needs different layers. Um, so I believe the way to get to the abstract is to first cre create 
multiplicity even in the meaning and then you say it doesn't matter what you sing on mm-hmm. but to exp- i mean because i very sound, for me language is sound when it's in carnatic music but i realized that that's not a discourse i can have unless there's multiplicity even in word right which is why i'm now saying i i will create content which is not just multi religious but also contextual to our times mm-hmm. you know we have to look at the struggles of today and maybe when we think that you know you talk about the tonal nature of words itself but that's because we've like you said been conditioned to associate certain yeah. words with yeah. the carnatic sound so i feel like as long as you're delivering it in a proper kannada with the proper kampita gamaka you're still adhering to the art music aspect yeah i mean that's fundamental i mean right? that's so i mean these are the challenges that you have like even at porumbok that was the, that was you know in my political sense porumbok made all say all made made sense even before i did the song but whether it works aesthetically is a question of the music now i've got somebody else who sent me another composition which is in local chennai language i have two one works one does not work it may politically say all the things that i love but that cannot be the reason for me to put that in there that's true So actually in the Porumbokka song there's make in India and come yeah. even they were said in a way that would work in the Carnatic yeah. yeah and that was a learning there was a yeah. learning for me i realized that i <laughs> could not say concrete the way i say concrete in english yeah. i had to say it like i would say in tamil yeah. and then it worked and it was very it was concrete. very yeah you know it's very interesting yeah. so i had to say it with the tamil yeah. accent you know and then suddenly okay so what this works like this <laughs> because first time i sang it i was like i couldn't extend the con Yeah. Like it's concrete, right? You how do you extend the con? Yeah. You can't. So you say ka. Yeah. And then it So these are <laughs> these sound I mean these are very serious musical issues, right? You struggle with. You mean No, yeah. So kind of bringing everything to full circle and putting it into context of where we stand today as um Carnatic Music Society. So there's been a lot of recent controversy about the intentions of Christian Carnatic music. And it's almost been a little refreshing because you finally are seeing people understand that maybe our music can have an impact beyond just someone singing in a sabha but there's also this con- contrast or contradiction in the thought of carnatic music being used conveniently for christian conversion because when it comes to other aspects of how carnatic music has evolved social in the social political context people tend to turn their eyes yeah you know it's i think it's there is a fundamental problem that you know we have to recognize at this stage you know irrespective of of this whole conversion thing which i mean it's i think it's been it's first of all been very unfair to so many or christian organizations and teachers who have been teaching this music to people of christian faith mm-hmm. and they have been doing this for years and years i know so many people so it's been so unfair at one level to just paint everybody as being you know maligning them as being some you know conniving conspirators at this you know without even actually going and listening to the work that they are doing so actually it's been unfortunate uh, at that level and this whole idea that carnatic music is going to get somebody to convert to christianity i mean i'm willing to debate that any day any time i think one of the things that we have to i think somewhere agree you know that yes we talk about you know we we talk about the politics in music but we are only willing to talk about the politics at the surface level we are never willing to see how the political is part of the sound that we are listening to about the experience that we are having we always want to keep the experience floated somewhere and you know untouched so one of the problems is that the political is always considered something that is outside it you know that's one problem the second is with regards to the present whole issue i think 
you know, even I have said, there's Vedanayakam Pandit, there's Vedanayakam Shastra, there's Abraham Pandit, okay. But the truth of the matter is, we have not sung those compositions for the last hundred plus exactly. years. Exactly. So I think there must be some honest acceptance and I'm including myself in this. I started singing songs of uh, different faiths only about a year and a half or two ago, or two ago, two years ago. Till then I didn't. So I think we have to first say that while we now defend this, we have also somewhere believed that this is only Hindu music. And because we have stayed like that, we are now, when we when people find that no, we've also sung these things, our musicians have sung, there is a contraindication that we are also sending out there. And I think it's important as, as a musical community to come face to face with this contradiction and say, yes, these compositions were there, not were there, but we did not sing them. So today, let's sing them. Then 100 years from now, there will be no cont controversy about singing this. I'm, the exceptions of people singing them are not to be taken into consideration because they didn't come into the norm. It was not natural to hear a Vedanayakam Pillai's composition on Jesus Christ. You know, when can that become natural? Can it be natural to hear a composition on, why not, New York City? <laughs> why not? <laughs> You know, can it be natural? I think it should be natural in the sense that even Kyagaraja has composed so many pieces that are about his everyday experiences. While they might come back to Rama in some sense, they are not only purely devotional. See, that's the whole point, right? So, that's, that's a good point you make. Because where does Rama come in this whole, whole package is an important question to ask. You must realize one thing, that a lot of the stories about Kyagaraja that you hear, were stories that were developed by the Harikatha Vidwans when it was part of storytelling. The first two biographies of Tyagaraja, written by Valajapet Venkatramana Bhagavata and Valajapet Krishaswami Bhagavata, don't have many of the instances that we believe happened in Tyagaraja's life. And that's coming from his direct Sishaparam. That, uh, that is, they are his direct Sishaparam. Okay? Yeah. Uh, many of them don't. I think some do, but most don't. And therefore, many of them were part of a storytelling. And Storytelling is an important part of culture, but we must also remember that that's part of understanding ideas, understanding concepts, but need not be literally true. And I mean, something we need to always take with a grain of salt in yes. a, a culture with oral tradition. And you know, the point you made about, yes, Rama is always there in Tyagaraja's life, because Rama is part of Tyagaraja's cultural framework, but doesn't mean it's that Rama is the reason for, culture, uh, for Tyagaraja to say what he said, because Tyagaraja was a larger larger person in his mind within his environment that he grew. Same thing with Dikshitar, same thing with everybody. And you know, if he, I think, and I find, I, you know, I, I, it, it something actually hurts. I mean, actually, it hurts me when we reduce them to just being, you know, people that you worship. Because I think that there's so much more magnificence. So you mean com the composers? The yeah, there is so yeah. much more magnificence. And you know, if you just, you know, Chris, you know, kind of make them plastic at some level. You know, we are losing out. Pain, he had pain, he cried, he went to court. He did every normal thing that everybody does. I mean, <laughs> he went to court. yeah, he not. did go to court. <laughs> so it's true. <laughs> um, so yesterday you put it well after the Georgetown concert. You gave a short five-minute spiel about art transcending the boundaries. If you could say that again in any... any so, no, you can now. Yeah, I mean, we always say art transcends boundaries. That somehow it brings people together. But the problem is that art is not independent hanging in midair. Art is what human beings make of art. 
So if art must truly transcend boundaries, if it should start discourses beyond our each of our own limited squares, then artists and the community of listeners, community of whatever, you know, empresarios, everybody, have to actually grapple with art every day and look at its wrinkles, look at its, you know, look at the beautiful and the ugly in whatever way you look at it. And we have to work with it to transcend. If we are not willing to work with art, then art does not transcend. It reaffirms who we are. And if you're, I mean, you're, you're most welcome to be happy about that. I'm not going to argue. But let us at least not lie to ourselves that it's going to transcend. It's not going to. If unless we are willing to say, okay, Kamala Kiran may disagree with me, but Kamala Kiran and I are willing to sit here and say, let's grapple with it. If we do that, then I think it talks different languages. It talks beyond languages. It, uh, you know, then the whole, the whole bandwidth, the landscape, the canvas, I think, opens up. But that's in our hands and not in art's hands. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think that uh, maybe you can only, you have to, as a musician, develop a certain level of maturity before you can grapple with it. Until you've understood where you stand within fanatic music itself, what it means to you and how to be a performer, how can you be tasked with how to what you, you know, can be what you can be tasked with is a critical mind of what you're doing if you can create an environment that is questioning mm -hmm. and that is willing to be critical and where nothing remains sacrosanct don't talk about it don't discuss that if you can and i think that's healthy if you can create that environment where the student i agree with you i mean everybody goes through the you know the curve the curve is important. But if you're willing to go through that curve with that open mind of saying, you know, this is like this. I mean, I even asking questions of what, why you like something, why you don't like something. Then I think somewhere these things start opening up. And for each one, it will open up in their own fashion. But if you're going to go constantly go through the learning process, especially the learning process, where, you know, things on the surface can be questioned. Can you sing this phrase in this raga? Can you sing that phrase? That's to me surface level dealing. Okay, because after a point, come on, you have to move beyond that. But ask more fundamental questions. Of what is this raga? And then why are we, you know, if you're willing to ask those questions and learn to ask questions too, then I think at some point of time, these things will emerge. But we have to allow it to happen. I think that's the one thing I've, over the past nine months to a year or so, I, I've really been trying to grapple with is, why haven't I grown up in this environment? And maybe is it also my fault that I should have challenged more, but I really have seen it open up. And even if people are upset that all these controversies are coming, I think no matter what side of it you're on, you have to realize that it's a pivotal point of everyone's musical journey because I will look back at, oh, when the controversy on Christian Carnatic music erupted, I will look back at that and remember where I was as a musician and how I've evolved since. And that's an important fabric in, your, in the tapestry of music. So as you said in the beginning, it all stems from our, it started with music with you and I think it starts with music with all of us. Everything I do beyond the world of Carnatic music or political or social stems from the fundamental fact that I, I'm a singer and that's, that's what I am. Everything else, my politics <laughs> stems from there, my social discourse stems from there, my, my what people like to call activism, I don't know what to call it, but whatever, that also stems from the fundamental fact that it's all about the sound of music. 
So with that, thank you so much for being here today. We're very happy to for our first joint episode yeah. to have you. And you guys did a good job. Thank you. <laughs> I would say in a way you've definitely brought us closer, um, helped Kamal and my our friendship grow. We've been able to question and challenge things together as we read more of your content. Thank you very much. Yeah. Stay tuned for more Carnatic conundrums. And with that, that's the end of our episode. Thank you for joining us. Pada yuga me thiramani ne.